From the AMF Podcast Studios, this is the Health and Safety Law Report. I'm Doug Jenks. And I'm Abby White. So if you have been tuning into the news lately, at least with uh, regard to health and safety law and COVID-19, you probably have heard an awful lot about the vaccine mandates. Um, There are three that are uh, in the news right now, the OSHA vaccine mandate, the Center for Medicare Service, Medicare and Medicaid Services mandate, and then also the federal contractors mandates. So as of today, which is December 1st, 2021, these three mandates are at least temporarily and apparently on hold, at least in certain parts of the country. So Abby and I thought it would be a very good idea for us to just briefly update our listeners and let you all know what is happening, or actually in this case, what is not happening. Yeah, and uh, keep in mind that as we're talking to you, uh, this could all change tomorrow. So we might record this today and everything tomorrow could be completely different, depending on what the courts do. And, um, you know, just keep that in mind. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why we haven't recorded already, because these uh, matters are all being litigated. We've been waiting for courts to issue uh, decisions about these preliminary injunctions, and it's definitely a situation of adjudicatory flux, we will say. That's a big word. Yes, I just made that up. I think that that fits perfectly. All right, so let's, let's first talk about the... Uh, federal contractors and the mandate for the vaccines for federal contractors. Back in September, September 9th, President Biden issued an executive order directing a federal task force, which is known as the Safer Federal Workforce Task Force, to create COVID-19 safety protocols for federal contractors. The long and short of all this is that federal contractors have to have their all employees fully vaccinated. This applies to, uh, first of all, it does not apply to suppliers. So if you are, let's say, a, uh, a food company and you're selling uh, soda to the federal government, my understanding is that this does not apply to you. But if you are a contractor, let's say you're doing construction work for the federal government, then you would be a contractor that um, uh, that would fall under this mandate. But what it requires is that all of your employees have to be vaccinated, as I said, fully double back, even if all of your employees are not working on the federal contract. So imagine that half of your employees or a quarter of your employees are engaged uh, in a federal contract, let's say with the Department of Agriculture, Even though three quarters of your employees are not working on that contract, all of your employees would have to be fully vaxxed. Now, just as a warning, this is a super high level um, or let's just say shallow description of these requirements. Um, There is a lot to this federal contractor mandate, and I'm just giving you a very brief general overview. So if you are a federal contractor, and you have not already looked into this or not already spoken to your attorney, you absolutely must do that immediately because this is very complicated. Um, These are very complicated requirements. 
unless of course you happen to be operating in Kentucky, Ohio, and, and Tennessee. And here's why I say that. On November 30th, a federal district court in the Eastern District of Kentucky granted a preliminary injunction which stopped the enforcement of this federal contractor mandate in those three states of Kentucky, Ohio, and Tennessee, at least temporarily. And I'd like to read just a couple of passages from uh, the judge's decision. He said, uh, his name is Judge Van Tattenhove, and he wrote, this is not a case about whether vaccines are effective. They are. Nor is this a case about whether the government at some level and in some circumstances can require citizens to obtain vaccines. It can. He went on to say the question presented here is narrow. Can the president use congressionally delegated authority to manage the federal procurement of goods and services to impose vaccines on the employees of federal contractors and subcontractors? In all likelihood, the answer to that question is no. And so with that, Judge Ann Tattenhove uh, issued this injunction, which will be in place for uh, at least until some other court, let's say the Sixth uh, Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, which covers those states, or maybe the United States Supreme Court would, would lift that injunction and therefore put this mandate back in play, at least for those, uh, at least for those three states. So that is one of these three federal mandates requiring COVID vaccines that is now, at least in uh, a certain part of the country, on hold. This is also true for the mandate, the vaccine mandate that covers employees who work at facilities that are paid by Medicare and Medicaid. So in early November, this was, I think it was November 4th or November 5th, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services issued a vaccine mandate which required all healthcare workers at these at facilities that accept money from Medicare and Medicaid to be vaccinated for COVID-19. Um, so what that means is that if you are an employee at a hospital, um, and you are, like most hospitals, accepting payments from Medicare, then you and your colleagues would be covered by this rule. There's like nearly 20 million people in the United States who work in these facilities that are, uh, that are covered under the rule. But sort of like what OSHA did with the emergency temporary standard, CMS, the Center for Medicare Services, published this rule without the normal comment period from those who are affected by the rule. And that normal comment period typically occurs when the Center for Medicare Services publishes any new rules. But in this case, CMS indicated that they were not going to wait for that comment period and not go through the normal processes because uh, we are in a public health emergency and, uh, and the argument is or was that there was no time uh, for that. Um, so they went ahead and they, they pushed forward. But as of November 30th, two separate courts issued preliminary injunctions which prohibited the enforcement of the CMS vaccine mandate. The Western District of Louisiana District Court uh, granted this preliminary injunction and said that it, the injunction applied throughout the entire United States. 
Um, similarly, but uh, on a smaller scale, the Eastern District, a, a district court in the Eastern District of Missouri issued a preliminary injunction in 15 states. So at least as of today, the CMS mandate is is on is on hold, and then that begs the question for um, uh, employers who fall under this mandate: What do they do? Should they proceed uh, with their vaccinations or uh, or not? And uh, I actually don't have an answer for that question uh, right now because this is constantly in flux, and who knows? This uh, could be these preliminary injunctions could be reversed by circuit courts of appeals uh, very quickly, uh, in which case, if you had not been working to get your employees vaccinated, then you might be behind uh, the eight ball. So uh, this is all, as we said, it is adjudicatory flux. I like it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't like it because it's, it's hard to keep up with, but I like your term. Yeah, exactly. So um, okay, so that's CMS and that's federal contractors. Um, Abby, what's going on with the uh, emergency temporary standard uh, from OSHA? Well, so our last episode uh, was on November 5th, talking about um, OSHA's emergency temporary standard that applied to employers with 100 or more employees and required those employees to either be vaccinated and or tested uh, weekly. And uh, almost immediately, a number of states, businesses, industry groups, uh, religious organizations filed challenges in what ultimately was all 12 circuit courts of appeal to block the new ETS. Um, And then in addition, you have the labor unions suing, alleging that the ETS doesn't go far enough to protect workers from COVID-19. So you have all of these challenges uh, pending and all of the different circuits. Uh, And in response to one of those challenges, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals issued a temporary stay of the ETS. And this happened the very next day, November 6th. So this happened quickly. Again, adjudicatory flux, right? Yep. So the very next day, they issued a temporary stay pending briefing um, and judicial review. And then uh, a little less than a week later, November 12th, they uh, completed their review and affirmed the stay. And I'm not going to get into, obviously, the whole opinion, but it was kind of interesting because one thing, one reason, one problem they had with ETS was something that you and I and Amy have talked about since the beginning, which is the 100-employee threshold being problematic. It's overbroad and it's underbroad. It's overbroad because it reaches employers with employees who work exclusively at home, um, and are not exposed to any risk of COVID-19, but it doesn't apply to smaller employers who might, whose employees might have a very high risk of getting COVID-19 at work. So that was one of the reasons that they cited for um, the, the ETS being problematic. I thought that was interesting. Um, but in any event, so whenever you have challenges filed in multiple circuits, as this was, there's um, a lottery that's held to determine which circuit court Uh, wins, I guess, the opportunity to hear all these challenges. And so a lottery was held in this case. And we actually, uh, right here in Cincinnati, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals gets to hear um, all of these challenges, which is kind of like the legal nerd in me gets excited about that. (laughs) (laughs) 
not to be confused with the uh, other kinds of nerds that might be in you. I'm a many different kinds of nerd, but <laughs> the law nerd in me gets excited about the Sixth Circuit hearing this. So anyway, um, the case is now with the Sixth Circuit. The stay is in place. OSHA is not enforcing the ETS while the stay is in place, but they are trying to get the stay lifted uh, and they are trying to get the case moved to the D.C. Circuit. Meanwhile, the petitioners, so the, the groups that are challenging the ETS, including all the different states that are challenging the ETS, are trying to get this heard on bonk, which is just a fancy way of saying they want all the judges invited to the party. Basically, they don't normally the procedure is to have your case heard by a three judge panel. And then whoever is unhappy with the decision of the three judge panel uh, can seek review by the entire panel of active judges. In this case, the petitioners want to go straight to the full panel, the en banc, have their case heard on banc, which means that all 16 active judges would um, consider the issue. And in terms of makeup, the Sixth Circuit leans conservative. There are 16 judges. Six of them were appointed by Trump. Five were appointed by Bush. And five were appointed by Democratic presidents, Clinton and Obama. So stay tuned. We'll see. Yeah, I think it's um, difficult to get the case heard on Bonk. I have tried it and was summarily, instantly, immediately <laughs> told, no. certainly not. Take a hike? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, the rules of procedure um, give parties um, the right to request an on Bonk hearing if the case involves a matter of exceptional importance, which they're arguing that this does meet that standard. Um, and also they're saying judicial economy, um, for the sake of judicial economy, um, we might as well just go ahead with the on bond hearing because it's going to end up there anyway. So, and there's something to be said for that because right, we are absolutely. trying to do this stuff quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. All right. So that's all we wanted to do for today is just... Um, briefly update everybody about what is happening with these three COVID-19 vaccine mandates, all of which are coming out of the federal government. As we've just described, each of these is on hold, uh, at least in certain parts of the country. If you are impacted by one of these mandates, or maybe even by more than one of these mandates, you need to just be sure that you are in touch with your attorney and that you are following these issues very carefully because they are changing every day. Um, and there is quite a bit of news coverage about them. So it's not difficult to learn what's, what's happening. Uh, and as I said, it's a good idea for you to talk to your own uh, legal counsel. Very good. Anything else you want to say, Abby? No, I think that covers it. Okay. Okay. Well, as always, remember we are lawyers but we're not your lawyers, at least not while we're on this podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll be back in touch soon enough.